0: Hello and welcome to the Hadidah. Before I begin today's show, I want to first thank you, my nascent listenership, for the messages and positive feedback. I don't really have a gauge as to what makes a successful podcast launch, and I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants over here. But it seems that many of you have enjoyed my first attempts. That's very lacquer. Today, I'm speaking with Sherry Elbecher. For those of you that listened to my interview with Howie Saxstein, you'll remember that at one point, he called on South Africans who made Aliyah to get involved with their local communities, to fully engage in Israeli society, and not to stay passive. Here's Howie in his words. The guidance that I would give is build the society that you want. Build the society that you want your children to live in. I know it's hard. People are struggling. Israel is an enormously expensive society. It's difficult to live here. People are brash and rude. It's not so easy. But at the same time, come in and make a difference. How is it possible with so many South African or Lim there are currently no South Africans in the Knesset? How many South Africans are involved in local politics, in their communities, in their municipalities? Come in, and change the society and build it into the country and the society that you want. Make sure that it represents you and your values. Make sure that the reasons that you came are reflected in the society that you build. So, thanks to Telfed, I was introduced to Sherry. Sherry is a great example of a South African who has really dived into a full and proactive life in Israel and has, for years worked on building her community in order to grow a city. She is now at the early stages of launching a career in politics. The truth is that, in general, I'm no fan of politicians, but I have, over the years, developed good friendships with some of them. Occasionally, one comes across what I would refer to as an activist politician. These rare gems are clearly in that world to try and make things better for others to help repair or regulate the system toward the benefit of the klal, the people. In my experience, however, they are few and far between. Based on her history and their trajectory she's taking, Sherry is, in my book, an activist politician. Sherry is also an avowed Zionist, which is not a simple place to be. Let's leave aside the term as it's used in the broader world, because there is some confusion and negative bias about that label as it stands. But here at home, as Israel matures, the early ethos and ideology that drove the establishment of the state has evolved, shifted, changed. There is no other way it could be. The nation is morphing into something beyond that which it was at birth. This is inevitable. I understand that many might be repelled by the comparison, but much like the ANC was a success as a disciplined liberation movement and an epic failure as a government. The Israel of the early 50s and today's nation state are very, very different animals. We are dealing with politics as usual every day, as with pretty much any other country in the world. I have no doubt that we will work it out. We are a nimble smart and wise people. But something has to give way for a new system to emerge, whatever that new form takes. And we are kidding ourselves if we think that it's not going to hurt a little bit. Sherry uses a handful of Hebrew phrases as she speaks. If you don't understand what they mean, feel free to message me via Spotify and ask. And now I bring you Sherry Elbecher. Sherry Alberca.
1: That's right.
0: Welcome to the Da podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Good to have you on the show. You're our first politician. Would you regard yourself as a politician?
1: Gosh, no. <laughs> this word "politician" such a scary word. Sometimes I'm not that. That's not who I am. But obviously, if I want to get things done or do things, I need to move into the political arena. So, right. You know. Politics is a new word for me right now.
0: <laughs> so, you're South African born.
1: So, I was born in Johannesburg, um, a Sandton baby. We moved to Marentia and went to school to King David, Victory Park. And at the age of 16, my family decided that we're making Aliyah. You know, just growing up in a Jewish community with Jewish identity and King David, Habonim, it was an obvious decision and really not something that worried me. I was actually very excited about making Aliyah. I was just turning sixteen when we arrived, and when I arrived, we were, I went into a special Naleh program in Hod Sharon, boarding school, very eye-opening, I must say, for a South African kogel. And um my brothers and sisters went into regular Israeli school system. I studied and finished my bagrut in English, and then from there uh, went into the army. So it was a full three years of full-on absorption for a teenager. Moving to Israel, it was a life experience. Tough time in Israel. There was a lot going on in Israel. But as a teenager, you know, one of the first things that you learn when you arrive is to be aware. Because you travel, you learn how to travel on a bus, first of all. Okay, huge experience. Um, You've got to be aware of safety. But it was not something that was constantly in my mind. I actually came with a feeling of, wow, this is huge freedom, something I'm not used to. And I loved it and enjoyed every part of it. And I met my today Israeli husband, literally six months after we made Aliyah. And I learned a whole new world, a whole new culture, a whole new language. Uh, Learning Hebrew didn't happen overnight for me. But it was exciting and There wasn't a question of me wanting to be here. I knew this was where I was supposed to be.
0: At 16, that's a tough time.
1: It's a very tough time to leave your friends, to leave the security of your whole life, basically.
0: Right. And you were leaving just before Mandela was coming onto the stage.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: There was an exodus panic at the time.
1: It was an exodus panic. Um, Things were happening already it was a little bit scary because it was the beginning and nobody really knew like what was going to happen what was going to be i think for the zionistic jews it was an obvious decision to get on the plane and to come to israel i won't say that that was the whole feeling of the rest of the jewish community because if you didn't have the zionism and the ideology you know israel wasn't the first choice to come to so that was a very big factor where if i look at today over the last few years i can't say that that is the only reason that people are actually coming to Israel. Right. And I feel some of that's been lost a little bit.
0: The ideological side to come and struggle right. a little bit.
1: Struggle a little bit, uh, feel, you know, that the reason that they want to be here is because they believe in Zionism ideology and Jewish identity. For families that come here today, it's not the same Aliyah that we had. It's not the same Aliyah experience that we had 31 years ago. And I'll say it's not the same Aliyah experience that people had 10 or 15 years ago. Governments change. Budgets have changed. Absorption programs have changed. It's not easy today to make Aliyah.
0: Right. But hasn't Zionism itself changed? One
1: hundred percent. Zionism is not a popular word today. It's something that I feel that most of us have lost track of, and it makes me a bit sad. And part of the reason that I decided to do what I'm doing and take the step into making Israel my Israel, my personal Israel. I might be naive believing in it, but I really do believe that's the essence of who we are and the reason that we're here. It's, it's a huge part of who I am.
0: Some might say it's kind of madness to try to get into politics, even local politics, in this crazy country. 100%. Headstrong people everywhere. Why are you doing it?
1: Why am I doing it? I had a very strong-headed grandmother who used to say to me, Sherry, if you don't get up and do what you need to be done and want to be done, nobody else is going to do it for you. So if you need something done, get up and do it. I, um, I honestly believe that this whole process of my 31 years in Israel has been a shlichot and a, and a bracha. I have met so many amazing people along the journey and I've learned so much from all these people. When I came to Modin, I was a young married couple of 23. And this was a new city in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't even a city yet. You know, there were barely residents and we were building on hills. And it was a new start. It was an opportunity for us to build a community. So I got to Modin through Telfed. Telfed had recognized Modin as a city for the future of absorbing South African Olim, And there was like a handful of us there at the time. And we connected to each other. And, you know, you always, even though you're in Israel, you always want to be part of your South African roots. You can't take that out of the South African girl. And just being together as a community was so much fun. We had rugby evenings. We had, like, pool evenings, braai evenings. These are things, that you know, other people can't understand. So we started a community there. And we grew. And today we're over 100,000 people. And through the years, I had the absolute shlichut of being the absorption coordinator for the city of Modin, working on a special um, absorption program called Aliyah Kilatit with the Jewish Agency and the Ministry of Absorption, together with the city to promote Aliyah families to Modin. And we had amazing budgets, and we really could help the people. There was upan, there was upan for kids, there was extra rental assistance. There was so much going on there. And for nine years, that's what I did, over 600 families came through me, started their lives in Modin, and that was like living the dream. And when the government changed, so did the budgets, and then I realized that after doing it for nine years, you know, there's another step in this Aliyah process, and that has to be to help these Olim to actually stay in Israel, survive. I had just had my fourth baby. It was an opportunity for me to take a break a minute, think about what I want to do when I grow older, and I opened my own business after a year of staying at home with a baby, doing marketing strategy and helping new Olims specifically and veteran Olims start their businesses in Israel, understand the mentality, not be afraid of the lack of language. And I really had the opportunity to build a beautiful community, a business entrepreneur community. I run Women's Empowerment in Business, and I've had the opportunity to work with fantastic people. So it was very obvious to me that when I had this opportunity to take The step to an even higher level of now, great, we've got all these people living in Modin right now, and a lot of them are Anglos because of an Anglo community that's grown and grown and grown. How do we now integrate all of that into the actual city? How do we get the Anglos and the Israelis to integrate together? How do we create programs to help them work within the city? And it was a mad decision it, it was a huge step for me it's I'm not a politician I don't understand the language of being a politician yet but I'm a people's person and I believe in the people and I believe that together this isn't just my journey this is a journey that I have people who are supporting me who know me who come together and work and stand with me to create a better place for us at the end of the day so we'll start you know with Maudine, and please God we'll see where we go from there it's an expensive game running for politics, for municipal politics, so um, like myself, I joined a list. It's an opportunity for us to take that money and do what we need to do for the citizens of the city. So today, for example, in Modiin because of the amount of residents we have, we're going to have 21 council members, and that's a lot. And there's different lists that are running, and everybody's got their anima, amen, and what they believe in and what they want to present to the residents. It may be education, it may be employment, it may be housing, it may be whatever it is. So you're going to vote in Modein for a mayor who's running solely, and then you're going to vote for the list that you want with the candidates that you want to represent you in council. You know, I've grown. My kids have grown. I've got four kids. They've studied in the most amazing educational systems in the city of Modein. My oldest is now married. She's gone through the Shirut Lumi system. She's learning in Ariel in the university. I've got another 18-year-old going, please God, into the army soon, 14-year-olds and 9-year-olds. And then I look at my reality and I I say, but my child, my married child, cannot actually afford to live in Modin. And that breaks my heart because that's why we came to live in Modin. We wanted our family to grow here. And she's studying outside of Modin, which doesn't make any sense because most of our academic students are studying outside the city. There isn't an academic institute that they can study within the city. So when I was approached to join Ilan ben Sardon, who's been around for many, many years in Modena, he was vice mayor in Modena. He's a very much a person who does a lot of social projects and welfare projects, and he's very involved. He said to me, Sherry, let's create a program for the young future of our kids. And I'm like, that's perfect. I want the younger generation to stay in Modin. How do we do this? So please, God, we'll be able to create affordable housing programs for them. Academic options for them within the city. Employment. Employment is huge. You know, advancing the high-tech and employment in Modin. Most of us travel outside the city to work.
0: As I understand it, Modine is a high-functioning, successful city. Am I
1: correct? 100%. It's called the city of the future. It's literally a model that has been planned from ground zero. Nothing is built in Modin without having a plan, you know, already done years and years ago. And we have the option of advancing high-tech and technology and employment. Today, they, I'm not saying there isn't any, but it's definitely not enough. And if you look at the residents of Maudin, they're highly educated, academic people in fantastic entrepreneur positions, in, you know, high positions in their jobs, working for government offices as well. Anglos are bringing you know, the whole international market of high-tech, food tech, you know, fintech, biotech. So it's all sitting in Maudin except we're all traveling out of town. So please God, my program will be to help advance that, create programming, create positions, integrate Israelis, Anglos together to start a proper high-tech employment hub within the city. We don't need to travel out an hour and a half every direction. It doesn't make sense.
0: The high-tech parks exist already. So... Is is there a requirement for more build or is it just about tenanting them?
1: So you've got two areas, but the one high-tech park is actually on storehouses and there really isn't high-tech happening there. There aren't offices happening, you know, there's, there's not like hubs that are happening here. It's not like Tel Aviv Center here where you've got all these WeWorks or, you know, other entrepreneur workplaces together and all the high-tech companies or any companies in you know not everybody's in high-tech but just general jobs they need to come into maudine they need to be in this high-tech park that was specifically built for it and not just store you know store and and maybe a few little bit high-tech you know industry options going on there if we look at the profile of the community living in maudine we can own the world We really and truly can. There is not a single thing that is missing in Modine when it comes to the employment field or the entrepreneur field. And it's about creating a system, not just a physical place, but a system that offers them the guidance, the assistance, the working together, the collaboration. You know, if we just sit together and and make plans, we can honestly create amazing things. Within the city It's like my main goal because you know you bring Olim families as well. When you look at Olim families, they come with the most amazing professions, and they've already got a hard route ahead of them when they have to get their licensing or when they have to, you know, um, learn the language, learn the mentality. We can create amazing things in English through the Anglo community, through the other Olim communities, if it's Spanish, French, Russian. They're all sitting in Modena.
0: What about the South African? Or specifically, is there something that they can bring that's unique among the Anglo's?
1: I really don't think that the South African community can compare to any other community. We definitely have something that's very special about us. I can't tell you exactly what it is, but when you meet a South African, your heart just flatters. You're like, oh, home. Okay. South Africans have been a very, very big part of the of the you know the state of Israel from the beginning. We were the stronger community here in the beginning. We were a part of starting a lot of companies here in Israel and in industry and medical fields, and we were a part of developing this country and I think that South Africans have a mentality that when they take upon a project and they decide to do it, they do it wholeheartedly to the end. They've got a moral of work that really I'm not, I think all the Anglos do, Israelis as well, but there's something very special about the South African community. And the fact that we all know each other and the connections and the networking, that is the success of any industry, is the networking, who you know. You know, we can study and get our degrees, but at the end of the day, who do I know that will help me get a job in the field? And I'm astounded every single time that there are South Africans everywhere here in Israel, And we want to help each other. That's the whole thing. We want to help each other. You know, Telfed started uh, regional committees in a lot of cities here. They're all done through volunteering. Nobody gets paid to do these things. And the reason that these regional committees happen is because we as South Africans feel that we need something to connect us to home. And when you work together to welcome the new Olim that are coming to your city or help a mom who's just had a baby or even, you know, We're going to find an electrician, or you've got somebody to go to. It makes a huge, huge difference. Mm. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, as a politician, what do you say to the people that are fatigued by the whole political sphere, elections, the entire story that has just exhausted people, right, how do you engage them? How do you get them motivated?
1: What's going on in our country is very sad for me, on a personal level, more than anything else, because I believe that every person is different. There's a democracy here, and democracy works both ways, okay? Equality works both ways. And as a secular Jew who decided to become religious and who has a very secular family, and on the other side, a very religious family. For me, I don't even look at that. For me, that's like a natural. I don't judge them. I don't want to be judged. And if that's one thing that I can do is have an open conversation and acceptance for everybody. Because at the end of the day, we're all Jewish. And we're all here because we love this country. If I can develop and help develop conversation, make a change, you need a leader. Okay. I'd like to believe I'm a leader. What I can tell you wholeheartedly is that when I get an idea and I have a mission, I'm actually able to succeed. Whether it be a Chesed project, whether it be an entrepreneur program, whatever it may be, a call for help. I have people that stand behind me because they trust me. And that to me is the most important thing. As long as I'm truthful, And as long as I'm open-minded and as long as I'm able to lean on the community, then I'll succeed in whatever I need to do because I believe that we're together. It's a village. It's totally a village. You can't do this by yourself. And anybody who tries to act and think that they can rule by themselves, it's not going to work.
0: Final question. Do you have aspirations for the top seat? Could you ever see yourself moving up into national
1: politics? Of course. I'd love to be there. We were actually discussing the Golda Meir movie that just came out now. And I said to my husband, it's crazy. There hasn't been a woman in power since Golda Meir. And why? What happened? Why are we not going that direction? Why aren't we stepping up to the plate? I'm sure it'll take me a few more years to get where I need to get to. And this is just my first touch in the actual political arena. But yes, I do want to get to the top. And if I can make a small difference for anybody here, that's where I want to be.
0: Well, maybe I'm speaking with
1: Golda 2.0. <laughs> <not a> shame. <laughs> Big shoes to fill.
0: Thank you so much for coming in today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Great conversation.
1: Amazing.